Yeah. What is a moat? A uh, moat is basically a barrier. It refers to the you know the big forts yeah. that people use to build. And moat is that water around so the we fort. Keep, we keep the enemy out. We keep the enemy enemy with out with crocodiles. With crocodiles. Yeah. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. So you need water with crocodiles for your company. Let's go. Hello and welcome again to another episode of Remotivation. It's a podcast about remote people working remotely and living remote lives. And I'm happy to be here together with Ingrid Odego of Perrin and Radhika Dirks coming all the way from San Francisco. Hello. Hey, how are you? Pleasure to be here. Doing great. Thank you so much for having me on this podcast. It is great having you here. And uh, you've been in Norway for a week and uh, please tell us what you've been up to. <laughs> <laughs> so I've been here for a week. What a beautiful country. I've been around to Srebrenica, Bergen and Oslo giving talks on artificial intelligence. Cool. Which is what I do. So I've been um, speaking at DNB Next, um, Etera, lots of, uh, lots of little events and people are really wanting to hear more and more about AI, which is fantastic. And of course, enjoying the beautiful country. Yes. Awesome. So that's interesting. So um, maybe we can talk really briefly about what is AI. Right. And that's part of the problem as to why there's so much hype about AI is because we don't have a standard definition of what AI is. So let me use your bro- uh, podcast to actually push for this version of AI so we can all start talking about a standard. To me, AI is about mimicking human intelligence. So artificial intelligence is trying to encode into software very specific things humans are good at. Not only are they good at it, it comes naturally to them. So examples of this include vision. So computer vision, one of the top hot AI fields, is simply trying to get machines, your computers, to look at images, look at the world, and recognize patterns recognize images that come very naturally to humans. Same thing with speech, natural language processing. So things like Alexa, things like Siri that you're used to, the holy grail there is for it to understand human speech the way other humans do. And so AI just refers to these very specific areas, sort of these narrow intelligences. Unfortunately, what happens because of this, and this is where the confusion and the hype comes from, is that we conflate software, AI software, trying to do these specific problems with all of humans. So we think that, oh, okay, AI is about creating another human. And that's a flawed way of thinking about it. Um, The reason it, it comes up so much is because that is, in some sense, the holy grail of AI, is, hey, can we take all of the abilities of humans and pack it into one software, and that is called AGI, Artificial General Intelligence. The other flaw is thinking that there is only one kind of intelligence, so equating human intelligence as the intelligence. So AI actually can do other things that humans aren't good at, and this I think we should call amplified intelligence. So when we're predicting things like financial crashes, oil crashes, or their amazing insights that AI can help us with, that we don't find easy to do, we call that amplified intelligence. And when it's mimicking things humans can do, we call that AI. Awesome. 
that's a great uh, clarification or definition and i like the uh, amplification um, um, sense and in this like we are focusing on the future work what will that look like and so on so do you want to share some thoughts on how you think uh, ai or amplified intelligence will change how work um, is done or sure so the future of work is not work what do I mean by that? <laughs> That's a bold statement. <laughs> yes, it's an intentionally provocative statement because the future, well, the first of all, futures are hard to predict. But one thing that is guaranteed is that the future does not look like anything we think it's going to look. So when you start thinking about the future of work and you look at all the trends that's happening, you realize that the future of work is not going to look anything like work as we know it. And it's certainly not going to be work within quotes. So one, AI is going to really help replace a lot of the mundane tasks humans are doing. Things that we don't really enjoy, um, a lot of manual labor, a lot of manual tasks. And what this is going to do is that humans are then going to get valued and prized for things that they are good at. Humans are fantastic at thinking, creating, and innovating. So that means if you have AI that's gonna take away and replace a lot of the mundane stuff that's easy to do, then things that human intelligence is really good for is gonna start shining. Till date, there's no AI that can ask questions. That is a superpower humans are going to have. In some sense, perhaps questioning is consciousness. Mm. We don't know. That's interesting. So the future of work is create. Awesome. Um, that's super interesting. So how do you see this in uh, relations to the next generation of workers? Uh, the millennials and then their needs and sort of where does this fit in? Oh, I think it, it fits in beautifully. I think it just goes hand in hand. The technology, the AI platform that we have today and what it can lead us to do fits in just almost um, coincidentally in a very um, mutually beneficial way with how millennials think and want and what they want to do. Mm. What do they want to do? Well, they don't want a job. They want passions. They want to fulfill their passion and they want to go do something they love. In some sense, it's not even millennials, it's us. I mean, you know, yeah, me yeah. and yeah. we are living our dreams. It's like, you know, to turn technology that's in the cutting edge and bring it to market is my dream. Bring it into the hands of people who can use it for the good is my dream. That's my day job. Mm. I no longer think of it as work life balance. It's life. <laughs> it's life life balance. You know, it's like the multiple things I want to do in life, the more seamlessly they can integrate, the more it feeds me, the more I become superhuman. That's how I think about it. So and this is a growing trend. And part of it is because, you know, we grow up and we see our parents, uh, the previous generations, and we realize that, you know, this mode of what it worked for that time and era of, you know, um, of spending an entire lifetime at a job and then waiting for retirement to really live life. Yeah. So waiting till 55, waiting till 65 and collecting a lot of money to enjoy that later. Yeah. Well, the new generation, the millennials and us, we think differently. We say we're the new rich. So we don't want to wait for retirement to live life. We want to live life now. 
And that's not even saying, you know, okay, we want all the money now to live life. It, it means something different um, to us. And that's essentially turning our passions into our lives. And that's why, once again, the future is not going to be work or job. It's going to be the people who can really lean in into that and use their creation for value creation. Yeah. So what do you think this means for for the ways that we collaborate and create together? Because there are a number of technolo- technological changes that are happening as well, making it easier to collaborate globally, for example. Yeah, um, I think it's going to be really, really interesting. So we are no longer, it's in the world where the future of work is not work and the future is create. We're no longer are going to collaborate. The lingo, everything about how we think about this is going to change. We're not going to have users and followers and leaders and companies that are you know, leading the way. We are going to start gathering. We're going to find our tribe. Because when you go out there and you start you know, advertising your passion, the message changes from what are you building to why you're building it. Mm. And that was one of the brilliant successes of Apple. Mm. When Apple's a 1984 yeah. inspired commercial, yeah. Yeah. you don't even know when they launched the Macintosh, you don't know what they're doing because the commercial simply shows um, a girl. Exactly, yeah. you know, yeah. and that's the thing. So the, the message is about rebel, rebels. Yeah. So it's about the why and not the what. So now you have a bunch of people, millennials, walking around saying, this is what we're doing, but more importantly, this is why we're doing it. You start gathering your tribe, mm. and your tribe comes together. So it's no longer about users and followers, it's about finding your tribe. I can definitely relate to that. Like with Appearin, I feel like it's not just our team that is making the product, it's also our users because they send us lots of feedback and we just happen to turn that, that feedback into product changes. And, food, yeah. and features, yeah. And yeah, exactly. but it's, a, it's an organic process where, where they are very much part of our team as well. Yeah, and I didn't meet Ingrid till about an hour ago and I've been using her product, I love it so much, that I just have been recommending it to other people. They didn't ask me for user feedback, they didn't ask me, hey, talk about our product, nothing. I literally just met her. So, you know, things like this, it's like you recognize something that somebody's doing that actually makes sense, Mm. is good product, it's simple, and so you want to make sure that they are around, so you push the product. Yeah, I've actually said this or or recognized this for a couple of years now, is the the next competitive advantage, and I think we can dive into that whole debate, but one of those things is going to be a strong community, right? So really strong products are going to have to have a strong community. And this is where the tribe thing comes in. So some companies are obviously adopting this much faster than others. And uh, a lot of organizations are very conservative and traditional and um, people are maybe opposing this or or fearing it, um, that it will take their job away. Uh, how do you, or what do you think are the consequences for the companies who fail to recognize this as an opportunity and, and start investing in it? That's a great question. Yeah, so what's going to happen is that the people who do not embrace AI are going to get replaced. But it's not going to happen in the way people typically advertise it. It's not because you know robots are going to take over your jobs. It's going to happen because of what is true in terms of what makes a good company today. 
meaning we tie it into competitive sustainable advantage. Um, the other way of thinking about it is you have to think about at what level do you want to play the AI game. You can go into it saying I'm going to replace my human workers because I want to make things cheaper, better, faster. That's a flawed way of thinking about stuff because you can choose to play it in the level two, recognizing that AI is a different type of intelligence, both artificial intelligence and amplified intelligence. There are different types of intelligence compared to human intelligence. So the aiding portion is realizing that, look, human intelligence is really, really, really good at thinking, asking questions, and coming up with very new crazy thoughts. But you can only do that when you have free time, when you have leisure, when you take time to work out. And the lives we live in right now, we're overworked, we're stressed out. So smart companies are going to play at level two and realize that how do I empower my human intelligence to do amazing work? Ah, I know. Let's move back to, you know, 50% uh, employment type rate and uh, employment type time um, and augment my human workers with with AI that can replace a lot of the manual tasks mm -hmm. or rote work. The third level, and these are going to be the super uh, companies that really embrace this, is amplifying human intelligence with this. So in addition to level two, where you give back leisure and people are working at their best and creating and taking time off and doing crazy stuff, you have intelligence that thinks differently. And then the human intelligence takes the insights from there and amplifies it. So a company that plays it at the level three goes into a really true competitive advantage. And what is that? How do you ah, define? Good question. Good question. <laughs> <laughs> Go to the meat of the matter. So, Because I read a very interesting blog mm, on your website xlabs.ai about right. this that I recommend everyone go in and read oh. if you're interested in your company uh, surviving. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, xlabs.ai. Uh, we have uh, lots of nice blog posts about things like this. But competitive, you know, the, 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 the truth behind sustainable competitive advantage comes from my research um, from my grad school, actually, where I did a bunch of diving into on what makes a good investment in a company. And a bunch of the work comes from Bruce Greenwald, who's a professor at Columbia, and his amazing book on the subject. And he basically says that true competitive advantage is extremely hard to come by. And it only comes by from two different types of competitive advantages, individual competitive advantages or um, features. So, and you need two of it, yeah? So you need two of the following four things I'm going to mention. The first is economies of scale. This is basically you produce so much, the more you produce, the easier, the cheaper, the faster it gets to produce. And so you can draw out this line as a, you know, if you produce 10 million uh, units of a product, it's going to be, you're going to have larger distribution, you're going to have a, a better manufacturing supply line, a value chain, and that's going to be better for you than if you are producing 10 at a time. So if you have large economies of scale, that's going to be hard to beat. The second is a moat, a moat being a strong barrier to entry. What form does this look like? Things like a network effect. Yeah, you have like thousands of users, millions of users, you know, to take over something like Facebook or Snapchat, it's not going to be possible for a lot of companies. You have to somehow break that. 
or a moat could come in the form of IP, intellectual property. So you know how to do something that other people don't. And a lot of companies have an IP strategy around this because it gives you a natural barrier. Um, and the last is that you have a captive audience. Just, just so, so for, for those who doesn't, so I actually struggle with this word, moat. Yeah. What is a moat? Uh, moat is basically a barrier. It refers to the, you know, the big forts yeah. that people use to build. And moat is that water around so the fort. Keep, we keep the enemy out. We keep the enemy out. With crocodiles. Out. With crocodiles. Yeah. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. So you need water with crocodiles for your company. <laughs> That's a big office aquarium. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, so you need, I mentioned four things, economy of scale, network ethic, IP, and captive audience. Yeah. And on the captive audience, an example there is Apple. Mm. Like, you know, Apple can, right now, they have such a strong captive audience that you know, MacBooks sell for mm. 1.5 times yeah, yeah. the same processing power and they buy it because they have a captive audience. So that, that's the why. Like that's if there's why. meaning in the brand, then people relate to the yeah. brand. That's and right. You have a strong community, yeah. and then it's harder to switch to another product. Yes, because yeah. you're leaving yes. the community. Yeah. That's, that's right. Yeah, yes. That's yeah, and yeah. you're used to it. And you know the human biases kick in, and you need two of the of these four, and you can see why it's so hard. Mm. So it's not that without these, a company is not going to do well and not going to have amazing returns on the share of the stock market. It's that without these, it's not going to survive for a very very long period of time. We're talking decades, we're talking a century. Now, with respect to AI, AI comes in and changes this a little bit. This is a traditional thinking. With AI, if you want to have true sustainable competitive advantage, you don't just go out and say, what is my AI strategy? How can I uh, use AI as a tool and make my product better? You want to imbibe it. AI needs to be part of your core DNA where not only is it helping you do business better, but it's it's in the business of predicting your own business and mm. it's amplifying everything you do. Mm. It's the companies that take this AI strategy, however yeah. I hate that word, but this outlook, mm. those are the ones that's going to really take off. So what would be good examples of that? So, so in, in a company uh, using AI, um, and and so would it be in in their products would it be uh to uh, get their and how the team works in the team in the tools? In organization is it, is it uh, everything? In, in the structure yeah. is it in the uh, collaboration with the, with their customers yeah i'll give you a i'll give you a very specific example yeah based on a company i built so my previous company was called selden mm -hmm. and at selden we're basically building an ai that gave you a lot of insights a lot of predictions on what possible social economic disruptions might happen. Mm. So for example, we could predict port strikes mm. or labor strikes. And we were selling these, it's an AI company, these things are hard to do, uh, these insights are you know, hard to come by and obviously have a lot of value for Fortune 500 uh, companies who are our customers. So we were you know, just in the business of like saying, hey, here is a, we're selling the insights, selling the predictions. But, and the companies on the other side are in the business of like, working with an AI company and getting these insights. The, the uh, disconnect comes because they are just using us as a vendor for insights as opposed to really ingesting it and using it to run their business. So they get to pick, you know, they, they say this time we'll use it, this time we will not. Whereas, and then for a startup, being a Selden, being, being on the other side of the table, you're taking the best things that you do and you're giving it up. Now, instead, 
Imagine what it would look like if, ANA, if, if, uh, if AI was part of your core DNA. Mm. In that case, if Selden itself had a supply chain or manufacturing unit, mm. and we didn't sell our insights, but we used it for ourselves, suddenly I know that there is a port strike happening there, stopping you know billions of dollars of output, and I know that six months before anybody else, I can direct my product anywhere else mm. that I want to. Mm. And suddenly I'm going to be the only thing you can get your hands on when nobody else can. Mm. So that's what I mean by like, you know, using AI or if we were writing insurance. So I use the AI, the predictions, the insight to write new types of insurance, say political insurance or things like that. So that's what I mean. And then it, it, it just amplifies over and over again. Yeah. I think that's a really interesting point if you relate it to the capabilities that companies build up in-house. And at least here in Norway, there's been a trend for the last 10, 20 years of companies outsourcing a lot of the technology function. Uh, and they're just buying development of their web page or their products or their apps mm -hmm. from an outside company. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But then you're not in control of it and you don't have the capabilities in-house mm -hmm. to actually change fast and, and you don't have the knowledge of um, how the technology works and then mm -hmm. it will be hard to adapt to these changes. Yeah, and but I'll... I'm going to actually slightly disagree with you on that. Okay. <laughs> yeah, so I can see the point there for sure because and that happens because you get into this mentality, right? What you're saying happens because a lot of companies get into this mentality of, okay, this is an amazing company that I'm going to work with and they'll take care of all my technology or all my mobile, all my AI needs. And so they become, you know, there's a disconnect with the business and that's what happens. But at the same time, I don't think the opposite of that is that you as a big company should go start your own AI teams. Uh, I do think you have to work with vendors outside who are specialized in AI. Uh, and the reason for this is because the AI companies themselves they are exposed to way more customers. They specialize in AI. They know what they're doing. And there is power in combining data from multiple users that you will never have access to. And this is probably um, relevant when it comes to training. So with AI, the training of the AI algorithms play a part, right? So Huge. How, so how does that play in with different clients? Of the different yes. Things? So this is a, it's a great point. Um, so AI is all about data and the way an AI software learns is by training on the data. Mm. And so what happens now, imagine if you're a big company and uh, let's say, let's say you're uh, name a Norwegian company. Stat like oil. retail. Okay, perfect. This is a great example. Energy, you're yeah. a stat oil. Yeah, you're stat oil and you want insights about, you know, the, your market, like what, where, where is energy being consumed or where is oil being consumed or where it's being uh, uh, explored, like where is the next, the next uh, site to yeah. drill into. Yeah. Uh, and if you just had an internal team and you are crunching all of this, you only have access to your data. Mm. You only have access to your, uh, you know, patterns of behavior. Even if you buy data from the outside on general trends, yeah. you're simply combining a very specific, your data with general trends. Imagine if you now had an AI vendor, an AI oil and gas uh, company. Mm. They have data from not just you, but each one of your competitors. Now they cannot share the competitor data with you, but then they can look at the insights across mm. and then selectively give insights to your companies. Okay, so um, so we're getting towards the end. Um, so I want to wrap up with some 
some questions for companies who's looking towards uh, not necessarily just going remote, but but also looking for like AI and experimenting with AI. What should companies be looking at, and how can you start experimenting with this new te- new technology? Yeah, so there's a ton of resources out there for this, but the best way to start experimenting with AI is to actually uh, start looking at what are the startups that are doing stuff in AI out there. A couple of conferences will immediately give you exposure, and you know my advice might be biased because I come from a startup background. <laughs> but my advice would be to not actually go with a big company with a big tech name because the chances are that you know they they have a technology that is older and not really pliable, not really as. Um, if you're creating the future, you want to start as close to the future as you can. So not with a past old technology, but with somebody who's in the trenches developing technology that's already cutting edge. Uh, so that would be my advice. And the way to, uh, the, the, the problem with that is that these startups are rather hard to find. You can find a few because uh, they have a lot of exposure in media, mm-hmm. but then most of the others are a little bit harder to find. So you have to go a little bit out of your way, but it's actually totally worth it. So mm-hmm. instead of going to the largest provider, tech provider you can find and spending you know, millions of dollars on a contract that will take two years to yeah. negotiate, engage, and implement, uh, spend a couple of thousands of dollars, yeah. go to a few AI conferences, meet these folks, familiarize yourself with what are they, what are they offering is, and then um, the other bit of practical advice I would offer is to don't don't start an AI internal team. Hire one or two data scientists or AI, not to start an internal team, but so that there is a gap between any AI vendor or startup that you're working with and your business. Mm-hmm. So somebody who's inside who understands this world and who understands the business and who's a liaison. That's a really good advice, I think. Mm. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) All right. right. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure hosting you. Oh, pleasure being here. Good luck. When will you come back to Norway? Oh, when are you having me next? (laughs) (laughs) Maybe we'll have an AI conference. That's right. Maybe we will have an AI conference. That sounds wonderful. Well, we, we can all agree on that the future is remote. Or is it? Oh, the future is definitely remote. Yes. <laughs> and it's not work. And it's not work. The future is remote fun. The future is create. future is create. And we look forward to it. <laughs> yes. Okay, thanks, guys. Thank you. Bye. Let's go.